Part two, chapter sixteen of Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne Spiegel. On their way home, Levin questioned his friend about Kitty's illness and the plans of the Sherbatskys. Though it caused some conscientious scruples, what he heard was pleasant news to him. It was pleasant because it left him with some grounds for hope and it was still more pleasant to think that she who had caused him so much suffering was suffering herself. But when Stefan Arkadyevitch began to speak of the reason of Kitty's illness, and pronounced the name of Vronsky, he interrupted him. "'I have no right to know these family matters, since I am not concerned.' Stefan Arkadyevitch smiled imperceptibly as he noticed the sudden and characteristic change in Levin, who, in an instant, had passed from gaiety to sadness." "'Have you succeeded in your transaction with Rabinin about the wood?' he asked. "'Yes, I have made the bargain. He gives me an excellent price, thirty-eight thousand roubles, eight in advance, and the rest in six years. I had been long about it, and no one offered me any more.' "'That means you are selling your wood for a song,' said Levin, frowning. "'Why so?' said Stefan Arkadyevitch, with a good-humoured smile, knowing that now Levin would totally disapprove of everything.' "'because your wood is worth at least five hundred roubles, a desyatin. "'Oh, you rural economists,' replied Stefan Arkadyevitch, banteringly. "'What a tone of scorn to us, your city brother! "'And yet, when it comes to business matters, "'we come out of it better than you do. "'Believe me, I have made a careful calculation. "'The wood is sold under very favourable circumstances, "'and I fear only one thing, "'and that is lest the merchant will back out of it, you see, it is wretched wood, he went on, accenting the word wretched, as if to convince Levin of the unfairness of his criticism, and nothing but firewood. There will not be much more than thirty cords to the acre, and he pays me at the rate of two hundred roubles. Levin smiled scornfully. I know these city people, he thought, who coming twice in ten years into the country, and learning two or three country words, which they use appropriately or inappropriately, are firmly persuaded that they know it all. Wretched! Only thirty cords. He speaks words without knowing what he is talking about. "'I do not pretend to teach you what you write in your office,' said he, and, if I needed, I would even ask your advice. But you are so sure that you understand this whole document about the wood. It is hard. Have you counted the trees?' "'What? Count my trees?' asked Stefan Arkadyevitch, with a laugh, and still trying to get his friend out of his ill-humour. "'Count the sands, the ray of the planets, though lofty genius might—' "'Well, now, I tell you the lofty genius of Rabinin may. Never does a merchant purchase without counting, unless, indeed, the wood is given away for nothing, as you have done. I know your forest. I go hunting there every year, and your forest is worth five hundred roubles, a disyatin cash down, and he has given you only two hundred, and on a long term— that means you make him a present of thirty thousand. Well, enough of imaginary receipts, said Stefan Arkadyevitch plaintively. Why didn't someone offer me this price? Because the merchants connive together. I have had to do with all of them. I know them. They are not merchants, but speculators. None of them is satisfied with a profit less than ten or fifteen per cent. They wait till they can buy for twenty kopecks what is worth a rouble. Well enough— you are out of sorts. Not at all, said Levin sadly, as they were approaching the house. A small cart, 
tightly bound with iron and leather, drawn by a fat horse, tightly harnessed with wide straps, was standing at the entrance. In the cart sat a red-faced overseer tightly belted, who served Rabinin as a coachman. Rabinin himself was already in the house, and met the two friends in the vestibule. Rabinin was a man of middle age, tall and thin, wearing a moustache, but his prominent chin was well-shaven. His eyes were protuberant and muddy. He was clad in a dark blue coat with buttons set low behind, and he wore high boots, wrinkled around the ankles and smooth over the calves, and over his boots huge galoshes. Wiping his face with his handkerchief and wrapping his overcoat closely around him, though without that it fitted him well enough, he came out with a smile to meet the gentlemen as they entered. He gave one hand to Stefan Arkadyevitch, as if he wanted to grasp something. "'Ah, here you are,' said Stefan Arkadyevitch, shaking hands. "'Very good.' "'I should not have ventured to disobey your excellency's orders, though the roads are very bad. Positively, I came all the way on foot, but I got here on time. A greeting to you, Konstantin Dmitrich, said he, turning to Levin, intending to seize his hand also. But Levin, frowning, affected not to notice the motion, and began to take out the snipe. "'You have been enjoying a hunt. What kind of a bird is that?' asked Rabinin, looking at the snipe disdainfully. I suppose it has a peculiar flavor, and he shook his head disapprovingly, as if he felt doubtful whether the game were worth the candle. "'Would you like to go to the library?' said Levin, darkly scowling, addressing Stefan Arkadyevitch in French. "'Go to the library and discuss your business there.' "'Just as you please,' replied the merchant, in a tone of disdainful superiority, apparently wishing it to be understood that others might find difficulties in transacting business, but that he never could. As he entered the library, Rabinin glanced about as if his eyes were in search of the holy image, but when he caught sight of it, he did not cross himself. He glanced at the bookcases and the shelves lined with books, and with the same air of doubt that the snipe had caused, he smiled scornfully and shook his head disapprovingly, as if this kind of game also were not worth the candle. "'Well, did you bring the money?' asked Stefan Arkadyevitch. "'Sit down.' The money will come all in good time, but I came to see you and have a talk. What have we to talk about? However, sit down. May as well sit down, said Rabinin, taking a chair, and leaning back in it in the most uncomfortable attitude. You must give a trifle, Prince. It would be sinful not to do it. As to the money, it is all ready, absolutely and finally even to the last kopeck. As far as the money goes, there will be no delay." Levin, who had been putting his gun away in the armory, and was just leaving the room, stopped as he heard the last words. "'You bought that wood for a song,' said he. "'He came to visit me too late. I would have had a good price for it.' Rabinin arose, and smilingly contemplated Levin from head to foot, but said nothing. "'Constantine Levin is very sharp,' said he, at length, turning to Stefan Arkadyevitch. "'One never succeeds in arranging a bargain finally with him.' I have bought wheat, and paid good prices. Why should I give you my property for a song? I did not find it in the ground, nor did I steal it. Excuse me. At the present day it is absolutely impossible to be a thief. Everything is done, in the present day, honestly and openly. Who could steal, then? We have spoken honestly and honorably. The wood is too dear. I shall not make the two ends meet. I beg him to yield a little." 
But is your bargain made, or is it not? If it is made, there is no need of haggling. If it is not, said Levin, I am going to buy the wood. The smile suddenly disappeared from Rabinin's lips. A rapacious and cruel expression, like that of a bird of prey, came in his place. With his bony fingers he tore open his overcoat, bringing into sight his shirt, his waistcoat, with its copper buttons, and his watch-chain, and from his breast-pocket he pulled out a huge, well-worn wallet. "'Excuse me, the wood is mine,' he exclaimed, making a rapid sign of the cross, and he extended his hand. "'Take your money. The wood is mine. This is how Rabinin ends his transactions. He does not reckon his kopecks,' said he, knitting his brows and waving his wallet eagerly. "'If I were in your place, I should not be in haste,' said Levin. "'Mercy on me,' said Oblonsky, astonished. "'I have given my word.' Levin dashed out of the room, slamming the door. Rabinin glanced at the door and shook his head. "'Merely the effect of youth. Definitely. Pure childishness. Believe me, I buy this, so to speak, for the sake of glory, so that they may say, it's Rabinin, and not someone else, who has bought Oblonsky's forest. And God knows how I shall come out of it. Have faith in God. Please sign. An hour later the merchant, carefully wrapping his collet around him, and buttoning up his overcoat, took his seat in his cart and drove home, with the agreement in his pocket. Oh, these gentlemen, he said to the overseer, always the same story. So it is, replied the Prakashchik, giving up the reins, so as to arrange the leather boot. And your little purchase, Mikhail Ignatyitch. Well, well. End of chapter 16